On today's episode of Her Wild Outdoors, Kyla Ariel joins me in a conversation about how important it is to process the emotions of a first harvest. And it may go into second harvest, third harvest, fourth harvest, but how important it is to allow somebody their moment, whether it's an excitement or it is an emotional moment that needs to be given space. So listen in. I think it's important for everybody to hear. And thank you, Kyla, again. It meant the world. All right, everybody, thank you for listening in to another Her Wild Outdoors. We have a treat today. Uh, Kyla Ariel is joining me for a conversation about hunting. Imagine that. We're <laughs> we're going to hear a lot about the outdoors and about um, just about where we start and how we feel about that. So, Kyla, thank you so much for for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for setting this up and having me. Uh, It is going to be my treat and the listener's treat because I feel like everything that you put on your Instagram page, on the social media web, on everything is very honest and uh, it's just pure and I respect that. Uh, I think that some people sugarcoat things along the way and I have found watching your page for the past – I'm – I think it's been over a year because I was following you through last season to hunting and I feel like you are consistent in being upfront and out there and not afraid to just put the truth out there. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for saying that. I, I put a lot of effort into maintaining transparency and I put a lot of effort into the way I communicate so that I can be authentic and offend as little people as possible while maintaining that <laughs> transparency. So it's a fine line, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's a fine line. It's, it's, it's the balance between, I don't really give a crap <laughs> what everybody thinks. I'm going to be me as me as possible. But at the same time, I don't want to turn people off from the community that we're a part of. And it is, it's just a fine line. Exactly. I have noticed, you know, I turned 40 just a few weeks ago, and I wish that I felt then what I feel now with confidence and with growth and with the ability to just be transparent and not hesitate to be myself. I wish that I had had that back in my 20s, and I feel like hunting itself has helped with that, and Um, I don't know. It could be age. It could be hunting. It could be a whole bunch of things. But I feel like I have this piece of resting in who I am right now. And it's awesome. It's really funny you say that. I feel like the hunting community specifically has brought out um, a little bit more of that confidence in Mm -hmm. just being myself and uh, living authentically and explaining myself, I feel like they're incredibly accepting and understanding. And even though everyone's experience is very different, Mm -hmm. um, everyone's really open to hearing what you have to say and hearing your truth and everything. It's been really great. I agree. I think that in the year, two years, I think I've been, well, almost this spring, it'll be two years that I've been on social media in the hunting community. And I'm glad that I hunted before being a part of it, but I think that those four or five years that I was hunting before I got on social media, I feel like I missed a part of a community that could have encouraged me to move a little bit, I don't, I wouldn't say faster, but a little bit more confidently through what I was doing. I just, I don't have anybody around me that hunts other than my husband, so I feel like my community online is where I find inspiration and encouragement to push a little bit harder. I completely agree with that. I, uh, my boyfriend and I hunt together and we're kind of the only people for a while that I was surrounded by that hunted. Um, and fairly recently I got social media and that community expanded. Mm -hmm. And with that social media outreach, I found people that I work with now that are more open to talking to me about hunting and t- telling me they hunt um, and they wouldn't have come up to me otherwise because they don't really want to talk about it in that work setting. Isn't so that amazing? That, 
isn't it? It's yeah. so interesting. It's people that I see all the time and I interact with and it's, it's actually really great that they now feel comfortable talking about their season, like opening or whatever it is. Um, it's been really great. Yeah. But it is interesting. For sure. Yeah. I, I think that a few people have come out within the year that we have connected with on a local base that uh, whether they live near us or, or are within driving distance or are a little bit further away, it has opened up a friendship uh, that I've enjoyed um, just getting to know people and to know their stories and how we're all different, but we all have that same passion uh, and the ethical side of it coming together and conservation coming together. And it just has brought this big, huge world of our community a little bit closer. And I love that part of it. That part of social media rocks and can't be replaced, I don't think. I don't think so either. And I think hunting and conservation um, especially have a really great, I don't know, niche, if you will, mm-hmm. in the social media community where it's very supportive. Um, it's not so negative like so so many other parts of social media. Um, right. And it's really, a, I don't know, a support system, yeah. honestly. Oh, 100%. I, last year we lost the place where we had been hunting for almost a decade. And at least my husband hunted there before I started hunting. And then I hunted there and we completely lost it. And I was like, well, our season's done. We're going to have to regroup this season. We're going to have to start over. And it's just going to be next year before we can hunt again. And through connections that I had made on social media, It wasn't that we got land to hunt. It was that we got encouraged to go on public land, which we had not done before. I think my husband had done it once or twice, but I had never hunted public land. And it kind of pushed me into that uncomfortable, well, I don't know what I'm getting at. I've always solo hunted. What is that going to look like? Taking kids on public land. What, like what? This big, scary world that was unknown now a year later feels known and feels comfortable. And not that I would ever go without a sidearm, but it's still one of those things that I would never have done without the encouragement of people that I had gotten close with on Instagram. It's, it's so great. You say that there's so many people that have opened up like these new doors or even just ideas that Mm -hmm. kind of just get my brain moving a different way that make me just thinking about it ahead of time makes you feel so much better. And then hearing, uh, so many different people with their stories and their success stories and everything, uh, really gets you, I mean, if nothing else thinking in that mindset and I don't know, kind of opens up new doors for you, I guess. It's true. It's not necessarily, I'm a pretty competitive person, When it comes to most of everything, my husband and I (laughs) usually say we have to be on the same team when playing board games or cards or something like that because we get very competitive with each other. And so when I look at especially female hunters that I could compare and contrast, which we do. Honestly, it happens. You you do find yourself comparing and contrasting, but I don't find it in a competitive way. I find it in an inspiring way that if they can do it, I can do it. And if they can push themselves to a limit past what they thought, well, then I can do it. And it just requires research. It requires education. It requires being more prepared than I thought I used to be. And so... I don't know, that competition kind of pulls back and becomes something completely different than I've ever experienced. I feel like it turns into almost a competition with yourself. And it's almost like a competition with uh, education and how far you're going to push yourself and how you're going to hold yourself. Um, And that's another thing that's different with, again, the hunting community. It's it's usually a competition with yourself and people are so willing to help you along Mm -hmm. the way and a lot of people are willing to push you along the way, which is something I love. Um, but it's a really great aspect of, of the community and social media in general. Yep. I agree. I definitely agree. Well, take us back just a little bit to what got you into hunting. What triggered that change from being a non-hunter into hunting? 
Um, I had never hunted when I was a kid. Uh, my boyfriend got to go hunting with his father and mm-hmm. his father bow hunted as well. And he just happened to get introduced back into it, um, in 2018. And it was kind of a perfect storm where he, he just fell in love with bow hunting. He bought his first bow and he became totally passionate about it and learned every single thing he could about it. And just watching his excitement and his passion and his love of archery got me into, into that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so we got bows around the same time. He got one a couple of months before me. Um, then I got mine shortly after and we just became obsessed. I mean, we were shooting <laughs> multiple times a day, every mm-hmm. single day. Um, we ended up learning how to fix our own bows. We build our own arrows. Uh, we do essentially everything ourselves now. And at first it was a hobby for me. Um, it was fun. I mean, it's a blast to shoot a right, bow. Um, right. and it's a blast to build it and it's a blast to fix it. And it's so great to see all of your hard work between setting up your entire bow system and then building your arrows and seeing it all come together. And then it transformed into something else entirely when, when we realized that we could hunt and we could do so effectively and that we could provide for ourselves and our family. Um, it kind of took a turn. So in 2018, we got our first bow. And uh, in 2019, that was our first hunting season. So we hunt, we shot every single day for over a year. And then that following year, we we felt like we were ready and, and we got out there. But it was really uh, my boyfriend getting getting into archery and a beautiful storm of him listening to Cameron Haynes and yeah. <laughs> finding his own passion, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's nice to see. I hate the word nice. It's a it's amazing to see how you take it from ground zero to finality, whatever that is. It doesn't necessarily mean hunt, uh, harvest. It It's just taking it from zero to finality, all of yourself, building things yourself, putting things together, preparing, being hands-on. You can only be mad with yourself if something doesn't work. And there's something organic about that, but there's pride that comes with it. There's comfort that comes with it. There is a little bit of perfectionism that comes with it. Because again, if I mess something up, it's only due to my, either I rushed through it or I didn't learn enough about it or like either way, it was my mistake made. I can't blame it on anybody else. That was my mistake, my choice that put it into there. And so I love hearing from you that you shot for a full year before hunting. I think people think, oh, you go buy a bow and the next day you're out hunting. That's not how it works. (laughs) If you've never hunted before, if you've never pulled back on a bow before, that's not how it works. Not by any means. You're you're so right. It's so funny you say that. Uh, First of all, the the idea of doing it all yourself, it's it's so... I don't know if it's calming or humbling or what it is to say all of it. I've done this all myself, every <laughs> single part of it. And when something goes wrong, cause inevitably something will, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say, Oh, my, uh, my bow shop, they yeah. didn't put this on right. Or, or try to pawn it off on anyone else. It's, it's all on me. And, and there is so much pride. That's the perfect word for it. There's so much pride in, in doing that and learning that all. Um, and for me, John taught me almost everything I know. Um, but he, he taught himself a, ton he learned from, you know, School of Knock, Cameron Haynes, his father, um, a bunch of friends and family online. Uh, but putting that all together is, it's so, it is really incredibly filled with pride. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're totally correct with that. Yeah. I just, I think that there, uh, it brings it full circle. It brings it back to a sense of not just provision of meat for your family, but it takes it to, but I started here. And I put in the effort here and I wanted to make sure that I had it where it needed to be before I even took a shot on an animal because there's respect to that animal that there's that respect to what we're hunting that we're not going to take a shot unless 
we are ready for that. And so it goes into ethics a little bit, but it also goes into respect for yourself and for what you're hunting, being prepared. I bought a bow just a couple of weeks ago and I was very excited because I ordered it, I don't know how long ago, three months ago, but everything has been on backlog because of everything being shut down. And I got it and it was opening weekend of archery here. And everybody said, oh, are you taking the new bow out? I said, no, I'm not. I cannot take a shot with that bow right now. I do not feel confident enough to hunt with that bow right now. I need to put effort into learning this bow, making sure that my body can utilize this bow in a safe and ethical way that will respect what I'm hunting before I will use it, period. I'm not just going to go out and shoot at something without the practice putting in first. That's, it's so important. I, uh, I remember going to my bow hunting course, um, and it was maybe a month before season started. Cause I, I didn't know if I was going to be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally I decided that, uh, I think I'm ready. I think I know I can make a great shot on an mm-hmm. animal. And I know that I have the wherewithal to decide for myself whether I'm comfortable with a shot or not. So even if I go a full season or however many seasons without taking a shot on an animal, I know I can make that decision and not do something stupid, (laughs) essentially. And I remember going into that course a month before season and I'd been shooting for a year and we put so much effort into what we did. And there was, I think, one other girl in my course, one other female, and she told me that she didn't have a bow yet. I said, oh, what are you looking at? And we're talking and having so much fun. And, uh, she's like, yeah, I'm going to buy one this weekend and I can't wait to start hunting with it. And this is by the time she gets it, it'll be uh, like a week or something before opening day. Mm -hmm. And she said that she planned on hunting opening day with it. And I was, I couldn't speak at first. I didn't Mm -hmm. know what to say. Um, and throughout the, the, uh, hunting course, I had so, I heard so many people saying something similar Yeah, and I was just appalled. I was so surprised and I ended up asking a couple of them if how they felt confident and comfortable doing it. And they didn't really have an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm hoping just having that little conversation would be enough to stir something in their head. Um, and I also talked with a few of them about the different venues I used for learning about, uh, I mean, hunter safety and, right. and uh, ethics and all of that. But it was it was really interesting. I think, again, to each their own as as long as rules and laws are being followed, right? But in my mind, there is, so in Tennessee, of course, there's a draw weight limit. So uh, you can hunt with a bow as long as it is a certain poundage or higher. And my thought process would be they're going to get that bow. And depending on who it is and how much strength they have and if they've drawn back on a bow before, but they might draw back and be completely surprised that it is not as easy as they thought it would be to get up to a certain poundage to make a lethal ethical shot. And that, that would completely surprise me as well. If somebody got their bow right before hunting season and was planning on using it, I just, I think it's uh, like any instrument that you use, whether you're a musician or you're a chef, these things, it doesn't just happen overnight. You have to put practice into it. You have to be prepared. And one of those things is taking the time to shoot and shoot and shoot. You cannot shoot too much in order to be prepared to use your bow to take a life. That is just my mindset. You cannot. I could not agree more. And that's a really great rule. Um, that would make me feel a lot more at ease. Um, and just thinking about someone pulling back a bow for the first time, I would imagine any of those people that I, uh, met in that hunting course, if they drew back a bow for the first time shortly after that course, I, I feel like just about anyone would say, yeah, maybe I should take a little time before I do this. (laughs) Just maybe a little bit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I, uh, we've, we've taught, well, I taught fourth and fifth graders, archery in our public schools here for about two years. And it's a great program. The NASP program is amazing for 
an archery team to be in a public school system from fourth grade on is it's just amazing if they allow it in each school. But here in Tennessee, in Middle Tennessee especially, it's a huge thing. And so to sit there with a fourth grader and you can only draw back 20 pounds, even high schoolers, 20 pounds is the limit on these bows. But to see a little bitty fourth grader pull back on 10 pounds and struggle with it, they walk up to the line the first time they go, oh, I've got this, put it on 20 pounds. And they're like, nope. But okay, you try that 20 pounds right there and they can't even draw back even a little bit of it. And so we pull it down to 15 and then they draw back and they can't and we take it down to 10. And when they make a full draw back, it's almost that humbling, okay, I have a lot to learn moment. And exactly, we, I compare myself to those fourth graders all the time. Every time I move up my poundage, I dislocated my shoulder about a year ago, year and a half ago, and I'm working my way back up to a draw weight that I feel comfortable with going out and hunting. And each time we move the poundage up, it's like, okay, <laughs> humbling fourth grader moment. <laughs> <laughs> and switching bows for me, um, I was uh, shooting that bow that I got in 2018 mm-hmm. all the way through until I got my Matthews uh, recently mm-hmm. and just switching bows. So I, I, again, had been shooting every single day and my Matthews finally came in. We got everything all set up on it. And I went to draw back at the exact same weight. I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. do it. And I was devastated. I yeah. was so upset and I'm thinking hunting season's coming. I want to hunt with my Matthews. I, I was so prepared for this. We bought everything I needed and it's, it's on this Matthews. It's not on my, my previous mm-hmm. bow. And it was, oh my gosh, so devastating. And I spent weeks shooting like three times a day and making all these adjustments, just trying to get it to like where I could pull it back. And now that I'm used to the draw cycle and have everything like tuned in perfectly, I have absolutely no problem with it. Um, But it was, it was such a humbling and also devastating experience trying to pull that one back. Yeah. I went from, so the bow that I was using was my little brother's youth bow from, I don't know, that might have been the mid 90s. So let's take this back. It was a browning bow. Browning does not make bows (laughs) anymore. (laughs) So we're taking this back decades of a bow and it was restrung. It was safe, everything. But that was the bow that I was using. And switching over, I switched over to Matthews as well. And I got in there and I think I had that similar moment of, man, I'm excited. This is right. I'm ready. It's going to be awesome. And then I pull back and I can't even, (laughs) I went, wait, hold on. What happened? I was ready. I was ready. Mentally, my brain was completely ready, but it's not working. Why is this physically not working? And they turned it down and I pulled back again. They turned it down and I was crushed. I thought I was doing so good and so ready and so prepared and I've been working out and I'm strong and it just didn't happen. And if we go to the to the logistics of drawing back a bow, there are muscles that you use drawing back a bow that you honestly cannot recreate in a gym. You can't. There is no Absolutely. way to recreate that exact motion in the gym, you have to draw back on a bow. And so I walked away that day, like 95% exhilarated and happy and excited and 5% completely crushed and devastated. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when, when we got our, when I got my Matthews and we had to back it down the exact same way so many times, and it's the exact same draw weight as my other bow. I thought this is absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And we backed it down and backed it down till we bottomed it out completely. And I was crushed. Like mm-hmm. you said, I, it was the exact same feelings that you're describing. And then finally, a little while later, I got my thought process right and reassessed everything. And I just started drawing it back a couple times a day at that lowest draw weight. I'd right. take just, I probably took thousands of shots at this ridiculously low draw weight and ended up building it right back up to where I am now. But it was, 
soul crushing for a little little while there. And a, a tiny bit humiliating because here I was in a bow shop. My husband's there. Three other people are there. I'm pulling this back. Everybody's watching me. And it was like failure. And I had to sit there and reprocess my brain. I had to rewire it and say, this is not failure. This is a different bow. The mechanics are different. Everything, you can't go from one bow to the next and expect it to be seamless. You have to put your work into it and you have to work hard on it. And it's just different. My draw length on the youth bow was shorter than the draw length now on the avail that I have. And that plays a huge amount of difference in changing up everything. Every little bitty tweak that you make on a bow changes how much you can pull back. And it just, like you said, takes time, takes practice, and it's a muscle that you have to work hard on to create that seamless draw with more poundage each time added to it. Exactly. We tweaked so many crazy things that I never thought would help. Um, one of the problems I had with my Matthews, I went, I came from an Ivashaki, a Bowtech Ivashaki, yeah, which yeah. is lighter than air, um, mm-hmm. which was part of the problem with it. It was great to learn on a phenomenal first bow for my weak little frame I had at the time. And, uh, I felt like I couldn't hold up the Matthews and I understand it's, it's heavier than my Eva Shockey. I have a new site on it. That's a lot heavier and everything, but I'd been working out and I thought this, this can't be right. And, um, luckily my boyfriend knows enough that he, he suggested putting a back weight on it, mm-hmm. um, a back bar. And I, I was like, I don't think that's going to help. I was like, I'm having a hard time holding it up as it is. He's like, I don't think you're too weak to hold it up. And so we made that tweak. And that was one of the, those moments that like gave me just this burst of confidence. Like, no, you're not weak. No, you need to figure this out. You need to make these manipulations. And yes, there's some parts that you have to work really hard for and get those muscles, you know, ready for. Um, But stuff like that back weight, I changed my my release and that helped a ton and made my uh, draw length longer, which was great. But these little tweaks that I never thought would help me draw a bow back, you know, or hold a bow up really made such a big difference. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like you said, it can either make a difference in a negative way or a positive way. And it's not a failing way. It's just these things you have to work. You have to, anybody can shoot the bow that you have, but you have to make it your own. You have to tweak exactly. things to make it work for your body, for your strength, for your stature, your frame. You have to tweak things to make it your own. Everybody is going to come out of the box the exact same for each person. And so it's just figuring out the way that this equipment is going to work for your body. That's it's like a puzzle. And that's the exciting part of it, even though it can have, you know, two steps forward, one step back. You're you're tweaking things to make it work for you, not for Joe Schmo over there or Eva Shaki or it's all going to be completely different. And I think that there can be a little bit of frustration in that if you're not seeing the big goal ahead, the big picture. Um, you can kind of get drawn down in those details. <laughs> like we said, that frustration, that humiliation or that feeling of, wait, it's not working in the beginning. But as long as there's a big picture and you know how tweaking can help, you can create something that's going to work magnificently for you. Exactly. I, um, I'm not sure if anyone really is aware of this. I'm six feet tall and I somehow have a 26 inch draw length, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. It's absurd. I have little Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. Um, (laughs) we have struggled for the longest time trying to figure out string angle and draw weight and an anchor point. Like I'm so disproportional that, um, it's something that we have struggled with for obviously years now. And we're finally figuring it out. Luckily this time when I bought my bow, I had all these things in the back of my head, mm-hmm. but even setting it up after I had chosen it. And I knew that that string angle was right. And all that, like finding my new anchor point and finding all these different little tricks and hacks to make everything consistent and reliable. It, it's taken so long, yeah. uh, and so much time and effort, but it's been really helpful having someone else who's 
I would say less pride filled on my outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, as opposed to me looking at it myself and saying like, oh, well, this person's drawing back however many pounds. Like, I know I can do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And comparing myself to them, which is absolutely absurd and silly. (laughs) Having my boyfriend there standing behind me saying, well, this doesn't help anything. Maybe we should try this and get Mm -hmm. you closer to that point. And yeah. It's been incredibly helpful. Well, and for anybody that's listening, so I'm 5'2 and a quarter. That quarter is very important to me. (laughs) But I'm 5'2 and a quarter. My draw length is a 25. So that shows you you the difference there on like you and I are one inch in draw length difference, but our height is so different. And so just walking up to somebody and looking at them and saying, oh, you probably have such and such draw length. That's not how it works. If you ever go into a bow shop and that's how they figure it out, run. (laughs) (laughs) Run as fast as you can because you can't just look somebody up and down and know there, you've got to be measured. You have to figure out what bow fits that measurement. It is hard finding bows that are strong enough but can be pulled down to draw lengths that would fit those draw lengths. So it is. I get you 100% that uh, figuring things out according to what God has given you in your body <laughs> to <Exactly>. work with. <laughs> And I'm, I'm over here learning from my boyfriend and a lot of, in a lot of ways we can compare to each other. We're like a similar frame. Um, I think he's maybe two, two or three inches taller than me. So not very much taller than Mm -hmm. me. And, um, I thought I, I should be able to pull back something similar to him, Mm -mm. you know, as far as, uh, draw lengths, he's a 31 or something. It's totally impossible. It's absurd. (laughs) It's, it's it's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My husband's six, two, we're a good foot apart and (laughs) our draw lengths are completely the same, just completely different. And I think that over the years of us hunting alongside of each other, even though we're not hunting with each other, there's an appreciation for having to figure out things, whether it's a gun, whether it's a bow, whatever it is in what you are doing hunting wise, there's an appreciation for having to tweak things to make it work. And he appreciates it because he's tall and has to figure out things that work for him. But he also appreciates it because he's seen me walk through trying to find, you know, a shotgun that works or a uh, to be able to get around, you know, the shoulder to to reach and hold on to a gun that would actually not kill me. Um, And so it is, it's something that you have to walk into and go, okay, there's not just a magic one size fits all. You have to, you have to be willing to try something out and say, that doesn't work for me. I'm glad it works for you. Social media people out there. I'm glad that you found something that works for you, but I have to figure out what works for me. And it's okay. Perfectly yes. okay. That's that's so accurate. There's been so many people saying, well, that's, there's no way you're a 26. And I think I'm at a 26 <laughs> and a half now with my new release because it puts it so far mm-hmm. back in my hand. Um, they're like, well, there's no way. Like, you must be measuring something wrong. You must be doing something wrong. Or, And then I've had people look at my draw weight and say, well, you're so thin. There's no way you're drawing back that. Oh and my it's, gosh. it's so funny. Yeah. And it. I don't think I could draw that back on every single bow I've, I could try ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you get, that's the best thing about bows is that you can customize everything. You can change everything and you can make it work for you without compromising the integrity of it. Um, And that's one of the best parts about it. Really. I agree with that. I think I've never hunted a large game. I've never hunted deer with, uh, with a gun. And it will be interesting this year. I will get to do that and it changes things up a bit and we'll see if I like it or if I'm going to stick with archery. Uh, But it's, uh, I think that we as a hunting community do a fairly good job of respecting the different ways that people harvest and whether one thing works for you or another thing works for you, the biggest thing is that you're doing it ethically, you're doing it lawfully, you are doing it in a way that is respectful to yourself and others in the game that you're you're hunting, but also you're providing. And that's all of our end goals is is to harvest and provide. And however you do it, as long as it's 
the right way, we should be celebrating. Absolutely. The overwhelming majority of the hunting community is so they're, they're just your, your biggest support system. Yes. Um, they're, they're your hype squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you're doing something so different than they would, even if they've never shot a bow in their life and they're an avid gun hunter, and they see that you got this white tail with your bow. They are thrilled for you. Right. Um, and that's almost everyone that I've encountered. And it's, it's really, really great to see that people can be so understanding. And the, and I should say that the overwhelming majority of everyone I've spoken to, they're generally just curious about my setup. No, yeah. like very few people yeah. say, why are you doing it this way? Or that's the wrong way to do it. I've had a very, like a handful of people do that, but almost everyone's just curious and wants to know more and wants to, you know, try it out for themselves or yeah. learn more for themselves. Yeah. I am an avid um, encourager of, Hey, I'm, Five to this is what has worked for me. If somebody comes to me who is six foot, I'll be like, uh, go talk to Kyla. That <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. And I am 100% willing to say, I don't know. Here's somebody who would. And or here are some links to go find that out. Or here is, uh, you know, some reading material that could help out. I am an I will gladly say, I do not know, but this person would, that I am not the person who is going to say, I know all and give you crappy information. That's not, I can't do that. That's not an ethical way of, or an honest or transparent way of living that I'd just be setting somebody up for failure. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Absolutely. It's so important to know when, especially with hunting, no one to say, I actually don't know the answer, Yeah. but here are like five people that I think of that might know that answer for you. Yes. And I think we do a really good job of that because I think we have a very good sense of self and of ability in the mm-hmm. hunting community. Um, I've, I've been an athlete before and that's not necessarily the case with all athletes or activities, but I find in the hunting community, it's a very big part of it to be able to say, I'm not sure, or I do it differently. So I can't really give you a, right. a say on, on what you're asking me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that humble part of it is one of the main things that helps our community grow. It's, Hey, I don't know, but this person does. And that then closes the door in on, on not the door, but that circle of community draws in a little bit closer. We're going to pull somebody else into the fold because you want them to succeed. You want them to be able to feel success. However, that is measured. You want them to feel that way because we've always been on the side of I'm beginning. We all know what that feels like. So we want to make it easier for somebody else and we want them to grow in a way that is positive. We don't want to see them fail. So I think that's a great part of who we surround ourselves with and who we want others to be surrounded by. Absolutely. The, the hunting community is is one that is, in my opinion, constantly under fire. And mm-hmm. I, I personally want a good representation of our community. So if someone new is, is coming into the fold with us, I want to help them in any way I can and yeah. also give them the resources for the ways that I can't help them. Yep. And it seems like the majority of the community is like that as well, where they, they, they want to see you succeed for yourself, but also for the community as a whole. Yes, it's so, so true. And you have kind of felt that in the past two years, but especially this year, you had, you put out a video a couple of weeks ago that I 100% sat there astounded and fully 100% respected every word that you put out there. And it was after you harvested a deer for the first time. So I know that you put that story out there and listeners go and go find that post. You need to hear it fully, but give us a little bit of a background on where that came from, because I think it's really important for us to hear how different we all are because somebody is going to feel the same way that you have felt. So give us just a little bit of background on before that post and then why that post was so important for you. Thank you so much, first of all. Um, I spent a year just learning archery. Um, and 
by learning, I mean shooting every single day, not shooting on the weekends or something. And then finally, a year later, we thought, hey, we're ready for this. And after a lot of consideration, um, I knew my boyfriend was ready and I knew that he, he would succeed, um, with his hunting endeavors. I wasn't sure if I was there yet. And so after a lot of thought, I decided to go and get my license, my hunting license. And so that was 2019. We went out a couple times a week, all season long. Um, and it was absolutely fantastic. And I never got a shot on a deer there. We saw a deer almost every single time we went out and, John ended up being able to harvest a deer that season and I did not get a chance to. Um, and that's not a negative thought in any way. Um, I just didn't have the opportunity that I wanted and I felt comfortable in. And that's um, called hunting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There was a day that we had six deer run within 20 yards of me and they were only there for about a minute. Um, and I just didn't feel comfortable. I couldn't yeah. quite get the right shot off. There was like a branch in front of one. One was moving. Two of them were too small. Um, and I I chose not to make that shot. And I am perfectly at ease with that yeah. decision. Um, but that's kind of how the whole season was. Um, and so John got to harvest a deer. That was, I think, in the beginning of November of last year. And I was ecstatic for him. Um, mm-hmm. It the deer came in right in front of me and I couldn't draw back because it would see me. It was staring at me. Um, so I just didn't move. And John was able to range and make sure that the deer was in the right, you know, spot. And he was in like facing the right direction and everything and made a wonderful shot. Um, and I wasn't sure how I'd feel in that instance, never mind doing it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that prepared me for the future when I would kill my own first animal. Um, I got to help him process a little bit. He basically did everything on his own, but I got to help a little bit and I got a little feel for what it's like. And I thought that it would feel very similar. You know, I was looking at that animal. Um, I knew that he made a great shot and we were both happy with that. And, and then we processed it together. And so this year we went out on opening day and we, I mean, we had been shooting every day and preparing for so long for this. And we were up in the trees and John got a deer and he's wearing his GoPro. So I'm sure you can see me freaking out, fist bumping to him. (laughs) And I was so thrilled for him. It died right underneath me very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, He made a wonderful shot and it was fantastic. And a couple minutes later, a deer wandered into my sights. And so right as he's texting me, Hey, do you want to get down? I see this deer wander right about 20 yards in front of me. And, um, I had never felt so calm in the action of doing something before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, speaking of drawing back, as we were talking about earlier, I tried to draw back four times and did so <laughs> unsuccessfully four times. I kept hitting my lineman's loop and I couldn't quite draw back and it completely did not phase me at all. Um, which is really funny. Cause I think if that had happened in a bow shop, I would have been just devastated and probably right. walked out. But, right. um, in this moment, I was so focused. It did not matter to me at all. I ended up like leaning way back, drawing back, then moving back forward. Um, and I was so sure of my shot. I was so sure there was nothing in the way. I was sure I could, you know, make a shot in that kill zone. Um, and I was, I was drawn back for so long too. Um, and I felt so confident in everything. And so I made that shot and, I was immediately thrilled because I mean, the animal went down within a couple seconds and Mm -hmm. there was no movement. And, um, from there I started to get out of the tree a little while later and I got terrified to see it. Mm. I've never even hit something with my car before. And, um, I just made the conscious decision to kill something. Um, and so I reminded myself that it went down quickly, that I'm not going to go over there and it's going to be in pain or anything that it, it hasn't moved in however long. Um, but it was just this whole wave of emotions um, coming from a year last year where I did not take anything down, which again, I'm perfectly fine with to opening day of this year, getting something um, within 10 minutes of John getting something um, and not having that much time to process it. It was, it was a lot to take in. Yeah. And I remember going through it all myself in the, in the moment, you know, while we're there, you know, dragging them out and processing and dragging them to the truck and everything. Um, but it took me a few days to really figure out how I felt about the entire, I don't know, day's events, if you will. Mm -hmm. And as I'm trying to sort through all this, I'm, I'm wondering if people have the same thoughts that I have. Um, initially I was like, I don't know if I could do this again. Uh, this was so stressful. This was, 
terrifying for a little bit. Um, it was, it was crazy. And as I took a few days to get my thoughts together and really assess what, what happened, um, I decided that I really wanted to put a video out, um, that I wanted people's honest opinions, even if they thought I was crazy or whatever. (laughs) Um, and I really wanted to put it out there and just see if other people had experienced the same things. And the outreach I got from that video of people explaining their, their first times was incredible. They were all completely different. I mean, it's totally different than my story, you know, mm-hmm. and so helpful and humbling all at the same time. Uh, it was really fantastic. And it took me a while to figure out exactly how I wanted to post that video and the words I wanted to use. And I mean, how I felt about it in general, but in the end, I was so glad I did it. Well, that's there, not just for other people, but it was there for you to look back on. And you have that as a reminder that everybody processes different in that moment and it may take some time to process through it. And, you know, the next time you harvest, it might be different. You don't know. And that's the, I think that that's something that we don't give ourselves enough patience for. Um, I remember the first year that I took, I mean, like you going back to what you said about a quick, uh, a quick end. That is something that we all strive for as hunters for, for, for not anti hunters, but if you are a non hunter listening in, we don't want a deer or anything to suffer. We want to make sure to take the time and make sure that we are taking a shot that is going to be the least amount of suffering possible. And so for that to have happened for you, I am absolutely so glad because for a first harvest for a person, for it to go the other way, which can happen a lot of times, uh, especially if you're inexperienced, if you haven't been practicing that much with shots, you anything can happen, but for a perfect shot to happen on your first harvest is the goal. It is what you're hoping for, but you don't know how you're going to respond after that. And I think that I appreciated it wasn't the grip and grin picture right after it happened. It wasn't the rush to tell everybody. It wasn't the, you can tell this wasn't for Instagram success. It wasn't for the likes. It wasn't for all of that. You wanted to take that time personally because you needed to take that time and figure it out and and figure out what each of those emotions meant because taking a harvest isn't just about one moment. It's about all of them coming together and it can take time to process that. I, my son took his first year last year and in being a parent of a child who is in, entering the hunting community, I have a rule for my kids that they have to at least watch from beginning to end a harvest before they themselves harvest. Because honestly, can you imagine harvesting that deer having not seen anything like that before I can't um and that might just be me but I feel like if I had not seen one before or the multiples that I had seen before I think I would have had a harder time walking through it than what I did when I did have my first harvest and so when he finally did take his first year He was completely quiet. And we're talking about a nine-year-old. He was completely quiet. He sat down. And I think at the time, there was a little bit of worry of regret because that is an emotion that goes through. That is a, I just took a life. And I'm feeling that as I process through this. And so he was very quiet. He was very still. It wasn't the jumping up excitement that we thought he was going to have. And he was just extremely inward thinking and processing. And he has the biggest heart that I know out there of anyone. And so I was a little bit worried at first. And so we started talking to him to to help him and us figure out what he was feeling. And I think the first thing he said was it went down quickly. 
And he said, and I was hoping for that. And, and he said, and then I couldn't find it because it had fallen behind a hill. He said, I couldn't find it. So I was a little worried, but I was confident in the shot that I took. We were like, okay, that's good. That's really good. He goes, I know that's good. And so then when we found it, he then took another moment and we realized later he was actually praying over that deer. He was, he was saying, thank you, God, for this blessing of a harvest that went well. And I didn't even know that until later that evening. But he was taking those moments, and I think it took him still about two or three days to process through the whole thing. And I was proud of him for doing that, but it also reminded me that if I'm taking anybody with me that has never hunted before, to allow them the time to process and not to rush them through it, because it's not necessary, A, to rush them through it. It is actually important, like you have said, to take the time to process through each of those things, each of those moments, each of those feelings, so that you know confidently if you're going back into it, that you are doing so out of your choice, out of your desire to do it, and not out of, you know, any kind of pressure or anything. So I appreciated your time in posting, in in all of that. It was very refreshing to see that transparency and that authenticity in it. I really appreciate that. Uh, the way you introduce your son into hunting is so, it's incredible. It's, it's really great to hear. Um, I've never had to consider that before. And it's, it just puts a whole new perspective on the entire process to me. Um, being introduced to it as an adult, I can't imagine being introduced to it as a child. Yeah, I can't like imagine how it would change or not change. Um, but that's really great to hear. And I resonate with at, at least your depiction of how he, he went about everything. Um, because that's exactly how I felt. I, I thought I'd be able to share it with everyone. I mean, I assumed I was thrilled to share it, you know, with my followers and my friends and my family. I thought I'd have that, you know, that picture of me, you know, with my bow in front of it and everything. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, I could not do that. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. And I felt really guilty. <laughs> no. I felt so guilty at the time. And uh, John's just standing there and he's like, don't feel guilty. He's like, this is your time. He's exactly. like, we'll see. You know, it's fine. And, yeah. uh, and it was, it, it was fine, but I taking the time to process everything was in one way selfish, but also I, I was scared of putting out misinformation. Um, and I didn't want to mislead people. Um, if I didn't think through things completely and I said something that I didn't end up meaning, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it, it's such an emotional thing. At least it was for me. I shouldn't say it is for me. It was such an emotional thing and taking those few days to process everything and make sure my headspace was exactly in line, um, was really, really important to me. And I'm, I'm glad that it was something that other people appreciated as well. 100%. 100%. And I think that uh, the first deer that I got uh, the, was a doe, and there are no pictures. Um, it was, again, something that, you know, there there are pictures of my son with his first deer, and it was because he wanted them. And I think that I have to remember as my daughter comes into hunting this year, she might not want that. And so I have to, I, I want to make sure that whoever I'm hunting with, that there, there is always that question, what do you want? How do you want this moment to be? Because you can't recreate it. A first time is a first time. And to rush into something or to not value somebody else's feelings about it is selfish to me. So each person processes different. Each person goes through it differently. And there is a sense of, especially as a parent with a child, I am so stinking proud of his deer (laughs) last year. I wanted to get pictures. I wanted to do that. But I have to make sure, and I had to check myself and make sure that his feelings and his moment remained his. And... I think that's something to carry with us is that everybody is going to feel differently going through it. And the question should always be, how do you want to go forward? How do you, we're proud of you. This was a great moment. 
This is, I myself am, am excited for you, but how are you feeling? Do you need a moment? Do you need everything to be quiet? Do you need help or do you want to do this on your own? Do you want to talk about it or do you not want to talk about it? There, There's a sense of respect to allow somebody to go through that how they want to go through it. And I think that's why you got such great responses is because everybody's been there who has harvested an animal and everybody feels differently, but they have been allowed, hopefully, to go through it the way they want to and the way they need to. It's so, so good to hear you say that and to hear that you're so conscious of it. Um, I, I haven't had to be. Um, I'm not a parent and um, John and I communicate very well. So it's very effortless and we can really read each other well. So when he got his first, I could tell that he, you know, want to take time to appreciate the animal, but I could tell how excited he was, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that he, he wasn't like devastated or questioning all of his life choices leading up to that moment, <laughs> you know? Um, and for him to, to be able to read me the way he did and mm-hmm. he just was very quiet and asked some questions. And I, if I had been with someone else in that experience, if they had tried to push, I don't know, pictures with, with it or like, yeah. I don't know anything like that. This could have turned out really differently for me. Oh, and I yeah. could have been very turned off because um, it was, for me, it was so emotional. And mm-hmm. um, I know it was emotional for John as well. I mean, he obviously appreciates like the sacrifice of the animal and he is so, he is incredibly ethical and, you know, thoughtful. Um, but I know our experiences were were kind of different. So for him to be able to respect that I was going through something very different, um, and still processing everything was, is, I now realize hearing you speak was so important during that whole process. It's so, so important that we, my daughter hasn't harvested yet because she has actually not been on a hunt where a deer has been harvested until this week. And we just took them on, I think I sent you a couple messages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Went on a crazy trip for fall break that was hard and challenging and awesome, but she got to experience a harvest from beginning to end. And, and so that allows her to at least be introduced. She's been introduced to field dressing. She's been introduced to butchering, but she had not actually seen a shot taken and a a deer fall. And I think that it's really important, especially for kids, but for new hunters, I think it's important to see because at that moment, you don't know that moment might be like, hey, this is not for me. Or like you, it might be an excitement. It might be something that prepares you more than you think you are prepared until you get into that moment where it's your own. And so she is now ready. And I think that I th- she's a little bit different than my son. So I'm I can't assume how she's going to react. And and that is one thing that I try hard not to do is assume it. But we'll see what happens in the next couple weeks. But they are, it's, uh, I've never really mentored an adult because we've been pretty busy mentoring some human beings that we're very responsible for right now. (laughs) But I would probably not treat anybody any differently than I have them. And I think it's been a great way of preparing me if an occurrence happened where I am in a place where I would be mentoring an adult. I would not, I actually would not do anything differently. And it, it has been a great learning experience for me that I've walked away from, um, but it's been exciting. But I, man, that, A, I'm very excited that you harvested a deer. And I I take through these conversations that you will continue hunting. Yes. Yeah. I, I think what you're saying is so important. Um, I didn't realize how important every part of the process is. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, my parents, when I was younger, we would buy whole cows, you know, when we'd choose a cow, we'd have it butchered. We'd have it like we'd process it and we'd have it in the house. And, um, so I was exposed to that pretty young, but I had never seen something killed before. Right. right. Um, and that was something I was really worried about was that shot, that second after the shot, Mm -hmm. um, 
how, how I would feel about that. And, and it's different for everyone. So each part of that is really, is going to be so different for each person that experiences it. And the part that I thought I'd have a problem with was that moment right after the shot. And I felt so confident in that moment that I had no problem with that. It was, it was seeing it after. Mm-hmm. Um, the finality. And it wasn't so much process. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it, it was almost for me, like a coming to terms with what I had, what I had done, what mm-hmm. I had chosen to do. And that hit me way differently than I thought it would. Um, I thought that processing and that moment after the shot would really bother me, but that seeing it would be so exciting. And that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> um, and it is so important to, I don't know, be mindful of that with other people mm-hmm. um, and to take that into account. So it makes me really happy to hear you say that. Yeah. Well, do you guys still have tags for this year or uh, is is your yes. season over? You do. No, um, Connecticut, we get a total of four each. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we have quite a number of tags left. Um, we're pretty good right now as far as meat goes. I think we're going to try to go out a couple more times. Uh, John's going to be traveling soon. Um, so I think we're going to try to go out a couple more times and see if we can get him another deer before he leaves. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to force it. And after maybe a, another deer, uh, we, we really don't have use for more and we don't really want to be taking more personally. Right. right. Um, so we're going to go out a couple more times while he's here, but we're the same. I mean, here in middle Tennessee, we can take three doe a day. Jeez. Yes. Oh my goodness. We have so many deer. We have so many deer and we've got CWD in the western part of the state. And so you can take three doe a day and you there are two buck tags unless you're in a CWD county. And if you have your deer tested, you can have an extra buck tag. So it's amazing. I would never take three doe in a day ever. Our family last year lived on four deer and... I think that if we did end up taking more than four deer, we would donate. And we we actually ran yeah. into a gentleman this week that it's just him. He lives by himself. He doesn't have an immediate family that lives with him. And so one deer is actually really good for him for the year. But he hunts more than one deer a year and he just drops it off at Hunters for the Hungry. And so it's a great way if you do have so many tags, I mean, three doe a day, it's a great way of managing the land that you're on to be able to harvest because you need to be harvesting deer off of land if you're managing it. Um, It's a great way not to waste is to be able to donate. And there's so many programs out there for it. But uh, we, again, last year we took four deer and that was all we needed. And we probably wouldn't take more than that. So um, we're halfway through. If both of our kids get one, we'd be happy. <laughs> we'd be very happy. We'd have enough for us. So that is 100% respected. That is that is a crazy. I, I know. I, I've never heard of that before, actually. I know. <laughs> um, East Tennessee is different. The The mountains are a little bit different for us. <laughs> the, the deer... Uh, the quantity of deer are a little bit different, so the the tags are different. But here, middle to West Tennessee, three doe a day and two bucks. It's um, it kind of feels unlimited in that moment, but um, nobody ever does that. Yeah, yeah. We um we had a couple people reaching out saying, "Oh, did you guys fill your tags? One each?" And uh, I was like, "Oh no, we're allowed four a day." And I'm like, "What? Oh, that's so many!" And now I'm like, "Well then." <laughs> I know Eastern hunting is a little bit different than Western hunting. We there there okay. are a few more liberties depending on where you live, but um, you know, we got a taste this week of butchering in the field and packing out. And no, it's not easy. It is difficult. And there are different things that you have to work on, but it was pretty cool to get a taste of that this week. Um, just the different parts of it. I think that that's the best thing about hunting is that it's continuously changing and there's always something more that you can learn. Um, it's exciting to me. Absolutely. And I, I love things like that. That's why, that's why I'm in the sciences. Um, and that's why I like hunting so much is because they're very similar in the sense that you are always learning something new and there is always something you can improve on. 100%. Um, And that is my favorite part of it. Yeah. You can't get bored. That's for sure. (laughs) Exactly. Well, Kyla, I appreciate your time. Thank you for being so, um, open and vulnerable with us as your followers. And I hope that, 
unlike you feeling those feelings and wondering if something was wrong or wondering if this wasn't for you or wondering, I hope that people can listen and hear your story here and your story on your Instagram page and maybe not feel as confused about those feelings when they do happen, um, that it is different for everybody and that we should respect others when they are harvesting and, um, and help them walk through those feelings, whether by being quiet or by asking questions or just being there to support. Thank you so, so much. And that's exactly my hope too. Um, as I was posting it, part of it was just explaining myself to my followers. And the other part of it was hoping that some, this would help someone else. Um, cause I know what I went through wasn't fun necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, wondering if, if I was cut out for this or whatever, all those thoughts aren't fun to have, um, but they're important to have. And so I hope that it helps other people really kind of dig deep and assess how they're feeling and why they're feeling that way and come to a better understanding of what that means for their, their hunting career. Yes. Now tell people really quick how they can follow you and how they can find that post. Um, the only social media I have is Instagram. My mm-hmm. tag is at Kyla Ariel, K-Y-L-A-A-E-R-I-A-L. Um, and that's on my IGTV stories. Mm-hmm. If you scroll on through, they'll have good descriptions and everything. And it's right in there. So Perfect. you can reach out to me there. Message me. I'm, I'm very responsive. Very, very great. Hey, thank you, Kyla. I appreciate and we appreciate your time on Her Wild Outdoors. Thank you so much.